he talking to us? I have no idea. He's, a, he's an arrogant little jerk. There is no sweat on him, though. Oh, no, can't sweat. It's rules. It is? Body daughter rules. Oh. House rules. No sweating. No, he doesn't. Scoops him up, does uh, skip. Hey, I'm still waiting for their fitness video. I didn't see it at the Blockbuster. Well, I'll uh, get you a Jane Fonda video. I got several of them in my shelf. Skip. You ever watch him? Uh, look at me. They got their course now. Oh, good. I'm a buffet man. What do you use them to uh, level tables? Yeah. Among other things. Yeah, you got an uneven kitchen table, you put a video oh. under it. Nice drop kick. You know, he might not like this kid's attitude, but he's a great athlete. Not all damn push-ups. Let's be real arrogant. Real conceived there. Ladies and gentlemen, pay attention. This is your boy, the coach from the WWE. I would like to welcome you to the very first wrestling podcast in the world to take you on a weekly deep dive in the classic matches along with legends of the squared circle. Enjoy the discussion. Enjoy the back and forth. There's so much to get into. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the payoff. Horowitz wins. Horowitz wins. This is Tom Healy. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Jeffrey Ryan. Jeff, one of the biggest upsets in WWF history. I'm looking forward to covering it. But first, how the hell are you doing? It's a good week. Uh, I know we don't like talking about current stuff around here, but I got to say I bought tickets for the upcoming AEW show that's here in my town. And so I'm pumped about that because just a a different energy and just kind of, you know, I get pumped for a live show, especially when I know what's coming. And so buying the tickets this week, uh, it always makes for a good week. So that's good stuff. And then with that, I make no secret. I love a good stable, but I also love uh, just a good jobber and some enhancement talent. And uh, this week we are at the peak of the mountain as far as I'm concerned with today. Today's guest. So uh, exciting stuff talking about this one. As always, subscribe to the payoff. Give us those five stars. Spread the word about the show. Uh, for those of you that new kind of Mac update, the podcast app, just click write a review. Give us those five stars. That's all we're looking for. Super simple, even on that new program, a little bit different than iTunes, but it's right there. Just write a review, five stars, simple stuff. So you can always find us again, social media at payoff pod. We're on all of it. You can find us everywhere. Tom and I are always checking it. So drop us a line there. We love hearing from you. And of course that Patreon, just one tier payoffpatreon.com. We got our after show. We got those bonus episodes. We got discussions about big things happening. And when Tom and I, you know, feel like you know, sharing a little bit more with you. So check that out. Just one tier payoffpatreon.com. So Tom, what else do you have for those listening? Well, hey, you never know, Jeff. You may see a classic match at the AEW TV tapings when you're there that in 10 years we will cover on the payoff. I'd be all right with that. You just never know. So As always, thank you to everyone that's listening. Make sure to subscribe. That's how you support the show, and we greatly appreciate it. This is the first time ever we're actually covering two matches. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this episode. Also, I promised someone on Twitter, Jeff, that we would no longer spoil the matches by playing audio clips at the beginning of the show. Unfortunately, this is one where, sorry, 
Barry Horowitz wins. That's why we're covering him and Skip. So I can't promise that we're going to do that every week, but we'll do our best not to spoil things for our loyal listeners. I think that's all I have, man. Always my reminder is go back in the archives. If there's something that looks interesting, check it out. And by subscribing, you never know what episode you're going to hear next from us. So we certainly appreciate that and appreciate all of our loyal listeners. And every week we're picking up more, more followers, more listeners. And we love the momentum of the show and we greatly appreciate everything you do to support it. So with that being said, if there's anyone new listening, Jeff, quick rundown of the agenda for today and we'll get started. Yeah, we say it that the, you know we like giving a deep dive into a match every week as the first payoff. That every Monday we're breaking it down three parts to that episode. So you know we've had some others in the past that you know they might talk about it, but we are the first one doing it every week, bringing it to you. So those three parts we got the build, the payoff, and the aftermath. And so you know what happened before, what happens during, what happened after. Simple stuff. And so when we got the reviews, we kind of share those and the kind of write-ups. And then also just Tom and I talk about the match ourselves. So you know, good stuff there as always. So Tom, how come you wanted to talk about this match? Yeah, two big things, man. First of all, I was genuinely shocked as a kid that this happened, right? Like I couldn't believe it. I mean, I'd been watching this guy look at the lights at the end of every match for a decade. And all of a sudden there he is, he gets a win. I thought that was really cool. So I loved it. And then I was just glued to the product that summer because this was all leading up to SummerSlam 95, which was in Pittsburgh at the Igloo, which I went to. So fond memories of this, looking forward to covering it. And Barry was an awesome guest. So Jeff, what do you got for us? Yeah, I touched on it before, but not only do I love just a a good job or enhancement talent, but you got to appreciate a feel good story in wrestling. We don't see it all that often anymore, you know, through kind of all the complaining and things like that. But I think of like the rise of Daniel Bryan, you got Kofi winning, you know, the belt, not how he lost it, but winning. And so in recent memory, I think, you know, of a kind of a someone that not this losing streak, but kind of in the same role that very much gets over with the fans. And some people love him, some people hate him. But you know, one that really got over in this same fashion, uh, James Ellsworth, the chinless wonder. And so I'm I'm all for a good story like that. It does add something different, you know? Did you call James Ellsworth the chinless wonder? That's what he is. Yeah. I've never heard that before. There you go. Yep. And so the chinless wonder. And so it's good stuff. And so with so many of these stories we discuss on the payoff and I'm sure, you know, many of our listeners can re- relate. Uh, you know, I knew about Barry Horowitz. I, I, you know, I knew about the streak, but I didn't know the full story, not only just behind this match, but just his career. And so, you know, you know him, see the, the photos, things like that, but bits and pieces, but fun for me going back and doing the research. So that's really why I wanted to do this one. So, uh, with that, let's get to the build. Oh, it's time for the build. All right, here we are. It's the build. It's wrestling challenge. July 9th, 1995 is that's what we're going to talk about first. Then we're going to talk about the August 12th, 95 edition of WWF superstars. Both of these are Barry Horowitz against skip. So Let's talk 7995 Wrestling Challenge. It was in Wilkes-Barre, PA, small venue. At the time, they were doing four episodes of filming at a site that would then air over the four following weeks. Savio Vega wins a job in scrub match. We had some highlights from Raw. 
Double J Sid DiBiase interview. The match we're going to cover: Man Mountain Rock in a uh, in a Jobber match. King Mabel interview. One two three kid beats a Jobber. Waylon Mercy beats a Jobber. Double J music video, man. <laughs> All kinds of stuff going on. Sean and Diesel interview. So fun little show there. And then the other one was this Superstars taping on August twelfth of nineteen ninety five, which was taped in uh, Evansville, Indiana. We had uh, Hakushi against Aldo Montoya, Hunter Hearst Helmsley against Brick Brown, Adam Baum in a jobber match, Waylon Mercy defeating Buck Quartermain. Do you know who Buck Quartermain is, Jeff? Uh, I don't. We're gonna have to track him down. I am not familiar with Buck Quartermain. We're I'm not. E- I'm, I'm not either. But while I'm talking, look it up because I'm very curious. And then we had the match that the other match we're gonna cover, which is this Barry Horowitz versus Skip match, which was a ten minute challenge. Barry Horowitz uh, had to not lose to Skip in the first ten minutes. So fun stuff there. Now. In my research, I wanted to go back and look at Wrestling Challenge and Superstars, just see what we could find that would be interesting. As far as Wrestling Challenge, and later would become WWF Challenge, it aired from 86 to 95. Here's what's crazy, Jeff. In that entire stretch of nine years, there was one title change. Yeah, right? Um, Nine years, yeah. Money, Inc., which was obviously Erwin R. Scheister and Ted DiBiase, they would beat the Natural Disasters in 1992 with the help of the Head Shrinkers. Over the years, there were a ton of different commentary teams. The one I thought would have been probably the most fun to listen to, and they were only together for about five months, was Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby Heenan, and Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Now, Jeff... What do you think my favorite moment was in the history of Wrestling Challenge? I was a Natural Disasters fan, so hopefully you don't steal my favorite one because that's a hell of a title match right there. But what was your favorite moment? Well, on the Wrestling Challenge happened to be the Barbershop episode with Shawn Michaels super kicking the hell out of Marty Jannetty, ditching that loser, throwing him through the real glass that was there in that barbershop set and going on to becoming the greatest in-ring performer of all time. That's my favorite wrestling challenge moment. Never thought about that. You know, you've seen the clip a thousand times and never realized. I don't think that it was on wrestle challenge. Yeah. So they, well, so interestingly enough, they had, the snake pit, which was Jake Roberts one. I remember one episode in particular that had Hogan and, and uh, Undertaker on it. But yeah, they had the, the Jake Roberts one. Okay. I think that was a snake pit. And then they had the Brother Love Show, which was on there for a little bit. Obviously, Brutus Beefcake's Barbershop. And then they had the King's Court with Lawler in 93. It, it debuted. So they, they had those, you know, kind of signature things. I know they've done it more recently, like with KO and Miz. I like them. I think you find a good talker like the Miz. It's a great way to get him over. You know, I think Barbershop was because Brutus wasn't able to work at the time. You know, Brother Love was a personality, but I, I think when done right, especially hell, you got 90 hours of wrestling to produce these days. You know, I think that they can fit, you know, interview segment on. So I like these if they're done right and really enjoy it. I even think now, and I don't know who it would be. Maybe we can talk about this in the after show, Jeff. But, you know, even now on like Raw or SmackDown, it would be fun if there was like a legend who was a great talker that still had a show. I mean, obviously he's no longer with us, but a Rowdy Rowdy Piper or a Mean Gene Okerlund, someone like that, that 
that just did that. They were a great talker and they could get over the matches and angles. I don't know, maybe like a Mick Foley or someone, but I think that could be, be, fun. be a good way to bring some of them back and less wrestling roles. Yeah. Yeah. And just something where, you know, they don't have to get physical every week. It's not about putting anyone over every single week, but it's just something. And it's like, oh yeah, it's kind of fun to see Mick Foley on TV every week in, you know, something other than a GM role. So that's wrestling challenge. The other show we're going to cover is Superstars of Wrestling, which would go on to be known as just Superstars. That debuted in 86. And Jeff, it was around in like different incarnations up until like 2003. I mean, it was just on and off and it took the place of the action zone and all kinds of crazy stuff. A little bit more of a lineage there. By my count, we had two, four, six, eight different title changes on that show. Let's see, something that would be noteworthy was Ricky the Dragon losing the IC title of the Honky Tonk Man who would go on to have that long run. Some tag title changes on it. Mr. Perfect beat uh, Kerry Von Erich on there. Uh, so just some fun matches there, but a little bit more of a lineage. And my favorite commentary team from Superstars was Vince McMahon and Rio Rogers, who were only a commentary team for one week. Jeff, do you know who Rio Rogers is? Do you know who Rio Rogers is? I do, and I didn't even have to look it up. It's it was Bruce Pritchard. Interesting. Okay. Who, yeah, who was on that. commentary for one week knows Rio Rogers. And I think he had some uh I don't know if it was like a Texas accent or what he was supposed to be or who he was supposed to rip off or whatever. Maybe it was a rib on someone. I don't know. So some of those episodes are on the WWE network. They were just added in January. So that's a little overview for you. Now Going on in the business at the time, I got some fun ones for you this week. In the torch, in the week leading up to this first match we're going to cover, the main WWF story, and I'm going to read you the headline, Independent Doinks Band. I guess there were guys on the independent scene that were dressing as doinks saying they were doink. So the WWF was really cracking down on imposter doinks at the time on the independent scene. Now they're a billion dollar company that publicly trades but at that point they were chasing down fake doinks real problem in the wrestling world back then here's another fun one for you okay the torch would report that dustin rhodes was coming into the company he was going to be a dark haired heel going by the name the gunslinger do you know what the opposite of a gunslinging dark haired heel is what do you got it's gold dust <laughs> It's the opposite of what he did. It's kind of funny that yep. somehow that was the speculation. The gunslinger. I don't know. Maybe it would have been better. Maybe it would have been worse. Just depends on what your better and worse are, I suppose. Here's another one for you. Shane Douglas is coming into the company. And this was reported by the Torch. The idea circulating was that he would be brought in as the new president of the WWF. He'd be critical of all the top talent and say he was the true franchise in the company and then become a wrestler. Do you know what the opposite of that gimmick is? What? Dean Douglas, a school teacher. <laughs> That's who Shane Douglas would become. So it was reported a couple weeks later, well, they're going to call him Dean Douglas. It's the franchise, but a little bit different of a spin. No, it was a terrible gimmick. How they took Shane Douglas, great talker, solid in-ring performer, and they gave him that stupid-ass teacher gimmick 
I'm still pissed off about it. What a waste of talent. The working president in the WWF, Jack Tunney, would be gone from his office role, and so they'd have to bring in a new president who would become Gorilla Monsoon. Also, we're building towards a Jeff Jarrett versus the Roadie feud, which we were thinking might pay off at SummerSlam 1995. Only problem, following Jeff Jarrett's classic match at the In Your House pay-per-view against Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental title, Jeff Jarrett and the roadie walked out on the company. And I still believe to this day, Jeff Jarrett's best match of his career was that Shawn Michaels match. You know, we need to cover that at some point on this show. Very underrated match. I went back not that long ago and just watched it for the hell of it. It's fantastic. So if you want some extracurricular uh, research for our listeners, that would be it. Go watch that match. So that's all I got for you. A lot going on, some fun stuff. Jeff, how did we get to Barry Horowitz getting the win, his first win on WWF programming? The well, I'll say quote first wins because I've got some notes here. You can't get a page and a half of notes on this stuff without uh, having a single win. But uh, if it happened, uh, it's not getting past Jeff. Don't worry about it. I got us covered. So uh, Barry Horowitz, he joined the WWF. It was 1987. Uh, He had previously spent some time in championship wrestling from Florida. That was CFW and uh, one of the NWA kind of branches at that time. This was back in 1979. And so uh, about eight years after his wrestling debut is when he joined the world wrestling. So while a major part of his story was that he never won, He did get some wins. It was both singles and tag. The tag was with a one Brooklyn brawler. And this was during his first run at WWF, though, that was 1987 to 1990. Maybe he could count on one hand the amount of hands, or amount of hands, amount of wins that he got during that time. He moved on to WCW. Uh, His debut match there was actually a, a payoff fan favorite, Brian Pillman, was who he went against. He actually lost this one, and that his entire time in WCW, He had one win. So, Tom, any idea who that win was against? I do not know. This is against one Tommy Angel via pinfall. Just like a lot of people we're going to bring up and have brought up, uh, not a whole lot out there about Tommy Angel, but one we can uh, we will dig and see what we can find. But that was his one WCW win. He actually then he bounced around a bit here. He was in Global Force Wrestling in the early '90s, but then got back in the WWF in 1991. So hey, you were supposed to look up uh, Buck Hordermain for me. You never did. Yeah, he was not the persona of someone, you know, that we now know. So is what I will say. So a Buck Quarterman, that's who it was. Yeah, so born, we don't remember him. We'll, he's got a we'll, Wikipedia we'll, page. He does. We'll dig in a little bit more for uh, the after show. But keep in mind now, you know, we're back in the WWF, WWE. It's October 1991. He had some big matches against some big names, which, yes, he lost. Uh, the members of the Legion of Doom. We had Greg Valentine, which props to Greg. He was working uh, when we were there. He was he was working the table all StarCast weekend. So props to Greg for being out there and hanging out with fans uh, all four days. Uh, and he even had an intercontinental match against uh, one Brett the Hitman Hart, which he did lose, like many others. He took on Tito Santana, Owen Hart, just a lot of big names that we know and, and you know, kind of enjoy. 1992, this is where we really start getting into a little bit more of the revisionist history. He did have some wins here, but they were either on house shows 
or dark matches. And so not really counting those because those, you know, aren't part of what's happening in the real deal, but it, it did get a couple of wins there. And so after all this time, so this was, you know, 1991 when he came back. Now we're, we're shooting forward. We're at Survivor Series 1993. Still hasn't, wasn't, hadn't won. Um, he was a part of the tag team, I guess I'll call it, or stable. Um, he was the Red Knight on a team that was the Hart family, which was Bret Hart, Bruce Hart, Owen Hart, and Keith Hart, and of course, Stu Hart, dad. And they defeated Shawn Michaels and his Knights. And this is one that I will have to dig in a little bit more. I did a little bit here, but you had Shawn Michaels, and then there was the Black Knight, the Blue Knight, the Red Knight, and Shawn Michaels. So, um, when do you, do you know why Shawn Michaels is with the Knights? Oh, this isn't a joke. This is, this isn't a joke. That's how you normally set it up. No, why would I do, but go ahead and share why he was with the Knights. It was supposed to be Jerry Lawler, but then he got fired. Yes. So that's why it made no sense. I mean, what what, what Shawn Michaels doing with Knights? Well, it was supposed to be the King and he was supposed to have Knights and he was in a feud with Bret Hart. Yes. And it was the whole thing. Yes. And so with that, so there are pictures of this team out there. But oh, it was it was something. It was a thirty-minute match too, which just sounds crazy. I would say calling what they had on, like saying that their masks is generous because they they weren't like they they practically look like ski masks and like tights. It was just a bad look, and so you know we'll share the photo on Twitter because it was just something. It was out of this world. And so I do want to point out his occasional tag partner, though. This was Reno Riggins. Like I said, his career was really a balance of singles and tag work, or, you know, tag work. And they were actually the opponents, him and Reno, the opponents of one debuting Smoking Guns. And that they're also, as a tag team, they're kind of frequent competitor. Of course, our previous guest, Oscar, they would also take on men on a mission quite often. And so like, the tag work there, just interesting, you know, kind of how this is all playing together and the timelines and what they were doing here. So uh, he was also uh, in a singles match now. He was taking on a debuting wrestler. This is one Thurman Sparky Plug. I don't know if you remember who Thurman Sparky Plug was, Tom. Oh, come on. You think I just started watching wrestling last week? It's obviously Bob Hawley, but I was 11 years old when he debuted, and I still remember he had these stupid vignettes. Hey, I'm Sparky Plug, and I just remember thinking it was the stupidest fucking thing I had ever seen in my life. It was horrible. Go back and watch I, it if you. I uh, do remember the vignettes. Oh, yeah. it was so I'm glad you was, remembered it too. Yes, it was so bad, so bad. Was, yes. Oh, we will scour YouTube for some of that stuff. And so this does proving our point though, that if you had a, a skilled trade or skills job uh, in the nineties, you could be a wrestler. The so, occupational gimmick era. This guy has a car. Well, I make him a race car driver. God damn it. I'll be like NASCAR. Like, Oh my God. You know? <laughs> yeah, it just was that. So took the loss there too. And of course, yeah, hardcore Bob Holly turning that one. But uh, now we finally get to kind of our, our storyline here, though. We'll kind of we'll jump forward a little bit here. And again, you know, he might got the occasional house or, or dark match win, but he hadn't won. That's, we'll just kind of call it that. And this is where we get to the body Donnas. And so you had Skip, Zip, and Sonny. And so Skip being one Chris Candido. Zip, a name that we've we've kind of brought off one was a Tom Pritchard, who yes, relation to Bruce Pritchard, and then Sonny. 
and so a tag team very much destined for greatness. So, but the Body Donnas were just debuting, and so Skip was beating Horowitz really the house show circuit. And so this was March 1995. So if you remember that a lot happened, we were back October 1991. We've now fast forward to March 1995. Horowitz, again, at best had a half dozen wins. And so since his return in 1991, though, nothing on the level that WWE was acknowledging Horowitz being anything more than just like a jobber or enhancement talent. You know, it, part of the a big thing in his appeal was that, you know, he'd give himself a pat on the back. And so um, he would literally like kind of reach with his arm above his head and give himself a pat on the back. And so yeah, he had a t-shirt see, with a handprint yeah, on the back. The yeah, he had the t-shirt. It was like the reverse Jack Swagger, Jack Hager. So I mean, I, um, I need to find one of those online and like wear it when we go to WrestleMania. I'm sure eBay will have one. <laughs> so it has to. So, and so in the kind of lead up to this, these matches, uh, Skip, from my count, he pinned Horowitz is six or seven times during these house shows. It's just, you know, it couldn't get the win. And so they really didn't have a TV rivalry, but, you know, along the way, because Horowitz, he was having matches against, we had Jeff Jarrett. He was taking on the undertaker, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, some big names. And Mantar, too. I can't forget Mantar. Love Mantar. It, up until this point, kind of all the losses, like Skip and the Body Donuts, they were really just kind of getting going after their recent debut. And so I'll say that when this match was happening, it didn't, it was on a, cha- like a challenge show. It wasn't, you know, there was no reason to think that anything crazy was going to happen or anything out of the ordinary and that it would be such a, a turning point for Barry Horowitz's career. So that brings us to the taped in late June, but airing on Wrestling Challenge in early July, the matches of Barry Horowitz versus Skip. And we will get into what happened a little bit later. So Tom, got a lot of angles at this one, but what do you think of the build so far? A couple things. I forget how much Barry Horowitz did, and we'll talk more about that in the aftermath, but the guy was just involved in a lot, which I think is pretty cool. Fun stuff, a lot of moving pieces there. I love it. I'll just add that, you know, that Skip and Sonny combo, they were so obnoxious. Oh my God, they were so annoying. So he was over as a heel. I mean, it worked and it was it was a pretty strong gimmick, I thought. Like a good use of him, just being kind of smaller, like this obnoxious guy, the outfits and, you know, Sonny being the heel. And then, you know, Jeff, I got to tell you, some of my fondest memories as a teenage boy were uh, Sonny on AOL. No, we don't have to talk about that anymore. But yeah, no, uh, I'll, yeah. I'll just I'll just I, leave it at that. I was a sunny mark too. I think we all were at some point. So yeah, not so much these days. Yeah, well, that's yeah. That's we're, we're you and I both are big Trish Stratus fans nowadays. But yeah, <laughs> di- different stories for the after show. That's right. So yeah, I love them. I Barry's been around, so that was fun. This is a really fun a couple of matches and interview, and he was a great guest. So looking forward to that. Again, if you if you want to watch these matches with Barry, it's the July 9th, nineteen ninety five wrestling challenge match. Obviously, it's quick, but we'll watch that and discuss it. And then I'll let you know when to switch over to the August twelfth, nineteen ninety five superstars, which was that ten minute challenge. So with that being said. As always, thanks for listening, and it's time for The Payoff. Oh, it's time for The Payoff. 
All right, we are here with Barry Horowitz, and we are about to cover two matches consecutively that I distinctly remember as a child and, and just love this entire angle. Barry, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Pleasure to be there. All right, so we're talking about this first match you had against Skiff, the, the Horowitz wins, massive upset. When did you first hear that you were going to be going over in this match and, and part of an angle? Wow. I walked into TV. If I'm not mistaken, that win, I could be wrong, was either in New Jersey or Pennsylvania. I don't know if it was Wilkesboro, New Jersey, or College, Pennsylvania. I'm not sure. But I walk in, and Kevin Nash alluded to me that something's maybe going on. And, I, you know, in the wrestling business, you know, a lot of ribs and stuff. So I just went along with it. You know, no problem. I'm not going to say, nah, nah. and then all of a sudden, I guess halfway, well, before we get started, I think it was after catering. Cause I remember going into catering and it was empty there. And I met with Pat Patterson, sat down at the table and he, he ran it by me and he says, this is an experiment. We'll see how it goes. And this is what we're going to do. And we went over to finish and, and so forth. And, yeah, that's that was the beginning of my push that night. Yeah, so according to Bruce Pritchard, it was Patterson's idea to do it. So is that who you primarily worked with on this angle? Yes, mostly Pat, and then other people would join in, you know. But Pat was was in, you know, he was he was the head man. Yes, charge in charge. Chris Candido, what'd you think of him as a performer? Oh, excellent. Uh, he's my style. He's just um, we're all, you know, good workers are about getting the match over. Not themselves, not their opponent, not the ref. Get the match over, and you'll feel better. The match will be better, and that's the way business should be. And that's how Chris was, and it wasn't pulling teeth working with him. He's my style of worker. He's a technical, sound, heel our baby face. You know, he trained hard. He worked hard. Everything he did, he did to perfection in my eyes. He, you know, went above and beyond. And he was a good guy, too. But he told me some. He said when we first met, he says he was a fan of mine before he actually got going into the wrestling business or when he first started. I first met him briefly in Smoky Mountain, probably 91 or 92. He was Chris Candido, Black Trunks. That's it. And I don't think he was with Sonny or what have you. Uh, that was it. I, and we met briefly on a big show for Smoky Mountain. I remember that night. And then I meet him years later. The body done is Chris Candido and Sonny. And uh, I mean, uh, Skip and Sonny. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed wrestling with him uh, a lot. There was just, just a good camaraderie. And he was just uh, a good person. You know, him and uh, a few other people in this, uh, athletes in this business, just off the top of my head, you know, Chris Candido, Owen Hart, just gone too soon. You know, I, I RIP to both of them and everybody else that has gone too, too soon. It's just, it's, it's sad. It really is. All right, here it comes. So we got him doing the, uh, the push ups and then the <laughs> roll up and one, two, three. And I mean, do you remember? I mean, obviously you can tell the fans are going nuts. I mean, do you remember looking around going, oh, yeah, that worked? Yeah, I did. I said, this is over. This this, this match is over. See, again, the match was over. The people were going, I mean, it was deafening, deafening. And I remember it was very cold that night walking back to the rent-a-car, and I was traveling with Dutch Mantel, and we were just talking business and what have you. And uh, 
God, I don't even think I felt the cold weather. I was on such a elated high from from being uh, from the push getting over and just you know it was just a different chapter on my journey, and it was incredible. It was just incredible. Well, this this stuff just didn't happen back then. So I mean, I remember just being shocked. Like I could, it was like one of the most shocking things I'd ever seen in pro wrestling. I mean, it was it was that wild because you know as a as a kid I'd been conditioned to watch what six of these matches per hour for years mm-hmm. and you know always mm-hmm. knew who's gonna win and then all of a sudden there and you know my uh first crush sunny there uh not happy those were they were good they were a good team they were good characters yeah and, and people hated them now did did, yeah. did they have any did they have any issue putting you over was there any resistance did he think it was going to hurt him or was he happy to do it and, no and i, I never heard him. of you know tom i never heard of nothing i may have heard of a small rumor about that but I think that was hearsay because it was on a scale of one to 10, it was like a three. I heard it once. And, you know, if that was true, that's too bad. That's, that's the professional wrestling business and you could take it or leave it. So if there was any animosity or worrying about your win loss record, (laughs) I mean, that's ludicrous. If you think about it, if you're worried about your win loss record in professional wrestling, well, you need to quit and, and call up Dana White and demand a match in the UFC so you can get your ass beat in about 30 seconds. <laughs> when I, and I heard you say something good on a recent podcast. You said when you go to cash the uh, check at the bank, they don't ask yeah. if you want or lost. <laughs> no. They say how much. How much you want to put in your account, Mr. Horowitz, Mr. Technical. Yeah, they don't say, uh, did you win or lose? And so before we go on to match number two in this series where you, you had the 10-minute the match where, where Skip said you know, he could beat you in under 10 minutes, i got to ask you, so after this match, on the same TV taping, they had you lose to Triple H. Were you wondering, like, hey, if you're going to put me over, then why are you yeah. having me lose on the same taping? Did that cross your mind at all? Not at all. It's just business. You know, everybody has an ego, but I didn't have an ego for, for that. Uh, again, remember now about the win-loss record. No, it was just part of business, and no, didn't think nothing of it. And a lot of people in today's business or even back then – Oh, maybe you should question. You know, it's more of a business thing to go with it than go against the grain, in my opinion. There are certain things you stick up for yourself, but for the most part, in the professional wrestling business, especially working for Vince, he'll just get somebody else, take it or leave it. I mean, it's, I just don't agree with it. But again, once again, we're not worried about the win-loss record. You, you shouldn't, and unless you got, you know, unless there's a, a problem <laughs> with that you shouldn't even be in uh, in the business then no kidding so all right we're going to now go to the second match here which is august 12th 1995 this is on superstars mm-hmm. it says that you certainly can't last 10 minutes and he's going to beat you so we're going to go ahead and play right now mm-hmm. on that match during this run did you see a bump in pay? I mean, did they start taking care of you a little bit, or was it the same pay that you had been getting before and after this push? I think it was a little bit. It was better. It was better for my career as far as visual and rankings and financially. I mean, remember now, I was a part of every pay-per-view. I was captain of my summer Survivor Series team. I was a featured match on the SummerSlam, Royal Rumbles, in-your-house matches, Various promos, uh, did a, a commercial for Karate Fighters with Hakushi for, I think, Mattel or Hasbro. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was beneficial to my career 
as far as exposure and and the wrestling business and and financially, yes. So how would, how did the payoffs work in the pay per views? I mean, did you just get your check and you went, oh, okay, this is what I got for Survivor Series, or was it a separate pay? Did I mean, how, how did all that work? It seemed very. I'm trying arbitrary. to think now. I think it was separate, and you didn't get it for a while because of um, they got to tally up everything from the pay per view. But normally, those checks are phenomenal. Well, and that, I mean, you really had never worked pay-per-views, and then you worked, I mean, the, uh, most of them during this 95-96 run. Yeah. So it must have made oh, yeah, they were, yeah, they were substantially different than your regular house shows and TV and whatnot. I mean, we're talking the cream of the crop of the paychecks. <laughs> so so you mentioned, and, and here you are in this 10-minute this match just trying to uh, last and, and, and get your W here. So you had mentioned Hakushi. <laughs> tell, tell me about your relationship with him because they ran vignettes where you were trying to like Americanize him, as they said. Yeah. How, how was working with Hakushi? That must have that must have been fun. Well, yeah, he was. First of all, he's really a polite gentleman. And here's the thing: with I, I've worked for All Japan for a couple of years, and the Japanese wrestlers and everybody should break in in Japan. I mean, the young boys—they're all taught, you know, just. It's just they pay their dues from day one. I mean, when you see these superstars up there, back in the day, Kabashi, Kawada, uh, Mazawa, Tiger Mask, they were all young boys paying dues. When I mean young boys, I mean you don't take a shower till the end of the night. Even if you take a shower, if you even get to take a shower, you're going to set up to bring – you're going you're gonna, to uh, wash the giant Baba's back. You're, you're going to set up the ring, then break it down. You're going to do a lot of, of paying dues, and, and you'll wrestle at night, and you're going to get your ass beat, too. I mean, there's no flinching there. You get drop-kicked off the top rope there, it's it's there. On a scale of 1 to 10, it's an 8 out of a 10. They don't play there, but that's paying dues. And if you can't wrestle, and I emphasize that word, wrestle, that's what's on the marquee outside Madison Square Garden, wrestle. You can't do that there, you're going home on a plane next day. That's what I've heard. It's a whole, whole different world yep. over there. So, so basically, the ultimate warrior can't go to Japan. You got to tell me, was he stiff as hell? Maybe a little reckless stiff, nervous stiff, didn't know what he was doing stiff. Sometimes, not always. So it's funny. I've, I've heard people say certain things like when he would do the overhand, you know, overhead uh, press, he wouldn't hold yeah. you the right way. And, and, I mean, you go back and you watch yeah. it. And, I mean, people just look like they're holding on for dear life. It's uncomfortable. And, you know, I mean, you yeah. can tell if you really pay attention. Yeah. I'm sure it must be frustrating because, you know, you're, you're giving your body to someone. And exactly. that's how you make money. So it's got to be a right. little frustrating. Yeah. The press slam, I've seen a lot of guys do it. And I've taken a lot of press slams. I've seen a lot of guys. I, I got I to admit, Lex Luger, in my opinion, gave the best press slam. He did it with ease. There was no problem. He wasn't nervous. And he took care of you. So, I mean, I've been pressed slammed by a lot of people, but I, I, I got to say that's one of my favorites uh, as far as done professionally and looked right and took care of you. Yeah, Warriors so he, was reckless. Yeah, you could tell if you go back and watch it. So, you know, these matches with, with Skip, are you mm-hmm. calling the match? Is he calling the match? Did you guys lay this out in advance? What was the process uh, of together these matches? A little bit of both. Laid it out. Laid it out, ad-libbed, he ad-libbed, I ad-libbed. We're both capable of calling the match. Normally, the heel calls it, but when you've been a heel and baby, you're allowed to do either one. So, yeah, it was both. You you mentioned that, too. 
I remember specifically certain people in this business would never say a word, let the heel call a match completely. And at the top of my list was Brad Armstrong, Tommy Wildfire Rich, and Tom Zink, the Z-Man. Interesting. Yeah, they were, they just, yeah, it was pretty cool too. Just, you know, and there was others too, but I remember those in particular. And they're great guys, all of them. So you went to Florida State. Were you playing any sports there? What were you studying? Did you yeah, know? actually, I went to Florida State to wrestle, and I also took up uh, sports nutrition. So I was a, I'm a certified nutritionist, and something to fall back on. It was, uh, it was my forte. I was into that. I, I didn't get to graduate because, first of all, I couldn't afford it, and second of all, I got to turn pro. So I don't know if I would have stayed there to four years and got my degree in nutrition and what have you, would it have progressed as good as my career? But who's to know, but who's to care? Because that wasn't my dream. The dream was professional wrestling. So I had to pursue it. So according to the uh, internet, there's mm -hmm. a song by rapper Action Bronson that had you in it. What What's the story with this? This is my first time hearing this. Yeah, it's... I almost don't even put it over no more. It's just a waste of time. But you're asking me, Tom, and you're a gentleman, and I'll be honest with you. I was just, somebody just told me, hey, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm, I'm going, I don't even know who you're talking about. First of all, I don't care about rap. Like Kurt Henning used to say, rap is crap. But <laughs> anyway, I, <laughs> Kurt was great with words. Love that guy. Rest in peace also. What a technician. And his father's a great man too. And the state where he comes from is great. I love Minnesota great athletes. But anyway, and I said, huh? And it was the title song, the title track, Barry Horowitz. They're using WWF footage. They're using, and I'm going, what the heck? I mean, this is, did you get permission? Did you do this? And I guess I, I got with WWF and I wasn't under contract, so they're not going to pursue, you know, maybe if I was Hogan or John Cena and I'm under contract, they would have closed that up overnight with Vince's powerful lawyers. So I had to pursue it myself. And you know what? I'm not going to spend all that money and, and chase uh, some wannabe. I've got more shower time than he's got lifetime. So yeah, you know, no, I, I'm I've, never, gonna... I've never heard of the guy. I just, I just saw it online. I never heard of him. No. You know, when, yeah, I, would... when, I hear rap, when I hear rapping, the first thing that's in my mind is people like Nicki Minaj and Kanye West, Tupac, Biggie. You know, these are relevant, real rappers. Okay, Eminem. You know, okay, not action, bro. I don't even know who he is, and I really don't care, but it's disrespectful, uh, very disrespectful. And if you just think I'm, you know, probably thought I'm not going to do nothing about it, or they didn't know, somebody's not thinking, and uh, it's not worth my time. I'm, I'm better than that. That's it. And for all the listeners out there, you know, do not download this guy's music if you can even find it, if he still has a career. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So. You may find him at a pizza parlor in Brooklyn or something, eating his seventh pizza <laughs> in a row or something. I don't know. I don't know. All right. All right. Well, glad we glad we cleared that one up. But had, had to ask. You asked, Tom. You asked, very, Tom. Very, I didn't bring it up. You asked. And I, you're a gentleman. I, I, I got to tell the truth. I'm not going to BS nobody. Oh no! Here we go. Minute left in the match, and uh, yeah, well, we you know we cleared that up. I said this can't be real, and it turns out it is. So there you go. You <laughs> learn, learn something. Learn something new every day, hey. kids. All right, so it's it. Pays to get up in the morning. 
Yeah, so 50 seconds left in the match. You know, we're building Mm -hmm. towards SummerSlam. Did you know at the point that this was the plan, that we were going to do this 10-minute match, it wasn't going to end, and then you were building towards SummerSlam 95 where you would be featured with a singles match? Did you know that at this time? You know, Tom, that's another good question. I wasn't – may and may not. I don't recall to be exact. I'm not sure if that was told to me or not. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, I'm not positive on that. I, I couldn't swear on a stack of Bibles uh, the response to that for what you just said because uh, so much was going on back then and a lot to consume and a lot to process and digest. I mean, they're all on their feet here. I love I, – I still remember this as a kid. It was just, it was, there were some little things that you did – in this match, one of which was right before, right before the time expired here, people were, again, going crazy. I just remember you did this thing where you would try and pin him, he'd move his shoulder, you'd try and pin him again. i just never seen it done before. It was just little subtle things like that that, that really added a lot to the match. Yeah. When you wrestle a match, a total, a story told from A to Z, from point, you know, from, from the opening bell to the closing bell, these little intricate things make you go from a good worker to a great worker. And that's what I like to achieve. And I've watched a lot of great workers in my career before, during, and after my career. So what did you think of the, they would, people would say the term jobber. What, what did you think of that term? Well, I just don't, don't like that word. It's an old school pro wrestling verbiage. You know, it's just part of our vocabulary. I, I just don't, um, it sounds like basically like, yeah, you're a job or a piece of crap. I, I just don't, I don't like that. I've never used that word. It's enhancement. You're putting a guy over. Everybody, everybody wins, everybody loses. That's just the way it goes. If you follow life, I mean, <laughs> football, hockey, basketball, poker, what have you, there's got to be a winner and a loser. It just, that's just inevitable. It's, that's life. And I say, if you're going to say it about someone, then make it someone that's overshaped, that, you know, drives a truck during the week and is just taking a couple yeah, of I mean, on the weekend. I mean, you're sitting there, you're I, in great shape, you're running around the ring, you got the amateur right. background, you know, and you're doing some things that were, you know, pretty interesting and creative. You're, you're working right. your ass off full time. So it just seems like, you know, again, and they say it about guys now that are in phenomenal shape, can go out there and right. put it, in a 30-minute well, match. So. Well, people that say that are ignorant and they're marks because they don't know what they're talking about. Back in the day, you'd have a guy, and you could see it, very pasty looking, out of shape. Maybe his singlet didn't fit him right. You knew he had a regular job. He gets beat like in 30 seconds, or he lasts maybe two or three minutes. He gets to throw a gut punch in or a headbutt. That was his, that was his plan. He knew that, and that's as far as he's going. Well, I started there. Everybody started there. You start, like I said, you start that way in Japan also, but I'm not going to do that the rest of my, I'm going to progress. I'm going to, why would I keep all my tricks in a bag and not open the bag that Malenko's taught me and the other various wrestlers going up and down the roads? Why wouldn't you want to progress and, and be a better, be a better worker and technician? So, Last question for you, and then we're gonna we're gonna call it a day on on these two matches, which were which were fun fun to watch. They really were. And I, yeah. I, I forgot how I forgot how over the angle was. I mean, I I just love you know as we're watching these on mute. I just love watching the fans, and that tells me you know how over an angle was, how excited people were, how surprised sure. they were, and and man, they were mm-hmm. into you. But all right, so you and, and, you know we covered this on a previous episode. You wrestled everyone, and when I say everyone, I'm talking like you know. Yokozuna to Goldberg to 
Shawn Michaels to Ric Flair. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Here's what I want to ask you, though. Of everyone you ever wrestled, who do you think was the most underrated or maybe underappreciated wrestler? Hmm. I don't know if I could narrow that to one, Tom. I just, Tim Horner, Tim Lightning Horner, Reno Riggins. There's definitely more than one. It's a guy named Ben Jordan, Jerry Lynn. I mean, yeah. there was quite a few. I mean, this is what I'm getting back to, reverting back to as far as, yeah, you could do everything right and it's still not enough, which is discouraging. But uh, so there's quite a few. I, I don't think I could narrow it down to one. It's really, I'd have to really sit and ponder this one for a while. Yeah, Jerry, oh. Jerry Lynn's a great one. I mean, that guy was, he was phenomenal. And you, you wrestled yeah. him early in his career, early in your career, right? Yeah, the Global Wrestling Federation. He was the, I defeated him for the light heavyweight championship on TV in the Dallas Sportatorium back in the day. And uh, yeah, I think I wrestled him twice for that belt. Yeah, that's the first time I met him, if I'm not mistaken. Jerry Lynn's a hell, heck of an athlete, wrestler, comes from Minnesota, was trained properly. He's a good guy to this day. I saw him about a month ago at a signing in uh, Monroe, New Jersey, uh, a legend signing. And yeah, he looked great. He's a nice, he's, he's a good guy. Good guy. I think he's involved with the new uh, promotion out of Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah. I believe he's a, he, I believe he's a trainer. You know, I got to tell you, so it, it's funny, you know, everyone remembers your, obviously your, your WWF, WWE runs and work in WCW. You held a lot of titles over the course of your career. You mentioned, you know, uh, global light heavyweight champion, Florida, uh, NWA heavyweight champion. You held a number of titles. Was there? Yeah, I had, I had some regional belts, you know, from uh, small promotions, what have you. I got to say my biggest claim to fame is probably the Florida heavyweight title when I defeated Mike Graham in his hometown. That was probably cream of the crop there. And then, you know, the, the global was cool too. And then I, I got opportunities to wrestle Sting for the belt one time on a Saturday night main event when WCW did that back in the day. And I think uh, on Monday Night Raw in California wrestled uh, Double J, Jeff Jarrett for the Intercontinental title. So I've had many opportunities. Goldberg for the U.S. title. I don't know if he was the world champion at the time, but you had a TV match with Bret Hart that was pretty good as well. I mean, it's just, it's, oh. hey, your, your, re your resume is unbelievable. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So that wraps up those two matches. Look forward on a future episode about talking to you about the 95 SummerSlam against Skiff. But, hey, thanks for, thanks for being here. Thanks for joining the show. And, hey, if, if fans want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you here in this day and age? Well, nowadays I'm involved in my nutrition work, but also I do a lot of uh, meet and greets. And I may even go back into the ring after my knee heals. I twisted it and also hurt it from doing um, squats. So that may happen. They could get me on, my, on the Facebook and they can go to WWE.com. They could find me through the AirBarryHorowitz.com, MrTechnical.info. All you got to do is put my name in and it's going to go. But the, the Facebook is pretty cool. And also at two weeks ago, on a Thursday, I got a phone call and I was announced that I will be in the New England Hall of Fame. I'm inducted next year, Providence, Rhode Island, uh, next uh, year. So I will be wow. inducted into the New England Hall of Fame, which really the Hall of Fame, the first and original was in New York. It was moved to Texas. Second is the WWE. And third is the New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. And they always do it in Rhode Island. 
So it's, you know, so it's based out of Boston and it's a big whoop de doo A lot of icons are in that and I was flattered to be uh, called and inducted and I'm, I'm looking forward to the ceremony. That's on my Facebook there. There's information and pictures and whatnot. And uh, there's a lot of information there on my Facebook. So find you on Facebook. You're still doing appearances. You may have another yep. match left in you. When's the last time you had a match? Who was it? Where was it at? Okay. My last match was probably 10 years ago. It was in the Manatee Civic Center in Manatee County in Florida, which was, is funny about that building. It was a newer building, but now it's old. I've wrestled for every promotion at that building. I wrestled for WWF, WCW, Florida Championship Wrestling, and I think another – so I've wrestled there for three or four different companies. And the person I wrestled, his last – the actually, it was the Davis Twins, I think. They're twins. They're on the independent circuit, and I just saw them at a convention in Lutz, Florida three weeks ago. The first time since that match, they were both there to see me and say hello. It was a meet and greet, and it was basically the legends of Florida Championship Wrestling. Bob Orton Jr. was there, Larry Zabisco, Gordon Soley's son, Ricky Steamboat, a host of other people that were there. I mean, it was just, it was very busy, and uh, it was pretty cool. Um, Barry Rose, he's a promoter out of Philadelphia. They promoted that with Dave Penzer, and he's also another promoter, and they they have a lot of uh, meet and greets all over the place. Uh, it's very big in the Northeast. That was really cool. That's what, getting back to, I think it was Scott Davis. And I remember, yeah, we had a heck of a match. It was a good crowd. And I remember beating them with a Northern Light suplex. Wow. You went out on top, but, but you're thinking that knee heals up and you may, you may have one more in you. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I definitely think so. You know, I train six days a week. I'm sure I've got some ring rust, but, you know, muscle memory comes back pretty quick when it comes to uh, training and, and pro wrestling, in my opinion, anyway. And, but and my, forte, what's my forte, my long-range goal, and I've achieved almost every one of them, is to train wrestlers the way I was trained, like by Malenko. And who would it be? I mean, I would love to work for, you know, the Performance Center for WWE, I wouldn't mind, you know, if, if if Impact Wrestling wants me, Ring of Honor wants me, the new company in Jack, first come, first serve. But I would love to do that. I mean, that's just, it's right up my alley as far as not only teaching holds and bumps, but how to get in the ring, how to lock up, how to conduct yourself in a professional manner inside the locker room and outside. You know what I mean? It goes a long way. It's just not getting a headlock and, and you're you're a pro wrestler, you know? Somebody teaches you in three or four months. I mean, I'm sorry. In my book, that's that's not getting taught properly. All right. Well, Triple H, if you're listening, Facebook, that's yeah. how you get a hold of Barry. If you're and, listening, uh, Triple H, or Cody Rhodes, if you're listening, Scott Demore, if you're listening. And most of these guys, here's the thing. You know, back in the day, i got to see film on this guy. I'm not trying to put myself over, Tom, but if you haven't heard for, about me or know my resume like Tom does, you don't know wrestling. You don't watch wrestling, and you're not a fan. You're a liar. <laughs> That's right. Well, hey, you know what? Triple H owes you a favor because you put him over during your run in 95. So that's how he oh, can make good on that. <laughs> that would be cool. I mean, I put him over a few times. In fact, I think I was one of his first matches when he came in as Hunter Hearst Helmsley in yeah. 95. Yeah, I'm almost positive. I was at least in the top three of first, you know. When he came from, if I'm not mistaken, he came from WCW as 
Terror Horizon. Yeah. So I'm not mistaken. But and well, he turned into a hell of a worker. Let me end this with a little bit of trivia. One of your sure. final WWF wins in '96 was over Isaac Yankum, who went over went on to be Kane. So. <laughs> <laughs> You got the resume, my friend. So, hey, this was great. Look forward to catching up with you again to talk SummerSlam 95 on a future episode. Thanks so much, Barry. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me, and it was a pleasure. Looking forward to it. Oh, it's time for the aftermath. Welcome back. You know, got to thank Barry Horowitz for joining us, doing my research and giving these matches the time they deserve. It was fun. I enjoyed this. Just a real feel-good, great story. The matches, you know, not anything to really brag about in regards to performance, but still fun to, you know, see Horowitz uh, survive and, and get the win here. So, Tom, what did you think about the payoff? I enjoyed it, man. I, this wasn't like the main event feud of the summer, right? It's an undercard feud. It was fun. It was unexpected. They got a couple months out of it. You know, I liked it. I mean, it was it was a good secondary show feud that was fun, that was different, that I liked. I think it was really well done. And who doesn't like the underdog story, which, I mean, that's what they're telling. So, I liked it. Barry was an awesome guest. I love his quote when he's like, yeah, when you go to cash the check at the bank, they don't ask you if you won or lost. I don't That's know right. why. I thought that was pretty funny. Right, um, though. Over the course of his career, man, great career. Bret Hart, Goldberg, Shawn Michaels. He was in the ring with a ton of guys. He was on Raw. He was on Nitro. Won a bunch of titles down in Florida and throughout some different territories earlier in his career as well. It was great to connect with him. It's not someone you hear about or see often. So it was fun. I liked it. With that being said, Jeff, let's go aftermath. What happened? And then we'll give our payoff scores. Yeah, I will start with, you know, depending on how you saw this match, you might have actually heard two different calls. Uh, I'm going to call this the Goonies effect because like some people don't think the octopus scene was real, even though it was real, that there were two different calls on this. So if your friends have been debating over the years, we're going to settle the debate right here. There were two calls. So if you were watching on WWF Action Zone, you heard from JR was Horowitz wins, Horowitz wins. But if you were watching on the WWF, and Action Zone was like a kind of a, a clip show. They re-recorded it later after the fact. It, it just a little bit different. On the WWF Challenge, though, you would have heard Horowitz beat him. Can you believe it? From JR. And so both calls from JR, but odd, you know, just kind of an odd piece of trivia here in regards to how the call played out. So there was two different calls. And the Horowitz wins is great. Like, right, it's classic. How how they switch. Like, I got to understand if they started with the Horowitz beat them. Can you believe it? But then yeah. why they changed it, I, I don't know. And I just thought it was kind of odd. So the revisionist history. So it was actually, like Tom said, they recorded a lot that day. So on the taping later that day, Hunter Hearst Thompson, he actually beat Barry Horowitz. So the kind of winning streak was over very quickly, but it didn't air until weeks after this win. So that was okay. But Skip and Sonny, like we kind of saw here, Barry got the win, but uh, the initial win. But then after this one, Skip and Sonny came down to the ring for a beatdown and said that you know Horowitz couldn't last ten minutes against him, which is how we then ended up getting this 
10 minute match. And it did actually lead to a third match that was at SummerSlam 1995, where he once again beat Skip. It was his first ever pay-per-view victory. Of course, like not just a victory, but his first, also his first pay-per-view victory. It was definitely a 12-minute match, and so he got the win there. It really, all of this, this just brief little run here, it endeared Horowitz to the crowd. Like, you know, he kept started getting some wins. You know, they liked him as the underdog. Uh, you know, just a few other occasions after this where he got wins. But for the most part, it was back to kind of the losing ways and some streaks with that. But, you know, that kind of feel-good win, it was good stuff. And so he actually also too, or actually, he did have a gimmick. He became uh, what can only be described as a Jewish geek, a Jewish nerd, however you want to kind of do it. Can't do that anymore though, but that was kind of the gimmick that he had. He'd have these kind of huge glasses, like the horn rim glasses, and have a dress shirt on, just a pocket protector, just real nerdy type, you know, stereotypical look that you would think. And then um, his music too is also a remix of the uh, Hava Nagila. And so Vince just really knocking out of the park with that one. So um, again, things you could not do on TV in 2019. So, you know, of course, had some success here, you know, kind of doing these different types of things. But, you know, and good to see too, these feuds kind of playing out, you know, on TV and in different ways. And, you know, covering two matches, it was worth it on this one because just uh, the first one was short after the roll-up, but then also, too, it did kind of play into the story a little bit here. So, Tom, what'd you think? Well, I can just hear Vince. Ah, God damn it, Powell Horowitz. Is that Jewish? Uh, yes, Mr. McMahon, it is. Well, hell, let's have you come out to the Jewish song and we'll put the symbol on your, your trunks. I don't love it. I mean, yeah, they did this geek thing. They had That's him come out. To, I mean, oh my God. The other thing you didn't mention, and you know, we'll try to work this into a future episode, there was also some vignettes later on this year where Barry Horowitz was trying to Americanize Hakushi. Yes, I did not talk about that. And so <laughs> go back and watch those. Maybe we'll post it. I mean, it's it's exactly what you think it is. It's absurd. They were I will out say, there. yeah. Okay, so and this is probably an after show topic, but the only enhancement talent upset I can think of that is as good or maybe better than this, and I think you could debate back and forth, would be the kid beating Razor Ramon on Raw. Yeah. Other than that, though, I I mean, those are like the two. And yeah, there's been upsets and this and that, but like, dude, those are the two that that really stick out to me and and are both great. But like I said, I love this one. I I thought it was really well done. That's really all I have. Um, Let's talk write-ups, reviews. What were you able to find about this? (laughs) <laughs> Not much. <laughs> That's the interesting thing is that, you know, I went to our kind of common sources here on this one and, you know, there just wasn't a lot written at the time because it just wasn't, I say, a big deal. And so I scoured a little bit on, on the torch and the Wrestling Observer and couldn't really find anything here other than uh, I think there was one line that like Horowitz got the win. That was about it. Grapple didn't even have a score. Kind of the the more recent thing I found, Bleacher Report, they had this, the SummerSlam. It was their number nine most shocking SummerSlam moment. They did have, and we touched on Hakushi a little bit here, but 
line that they had in here that I thought was just, it was just things weren't looking good for Barry at the SummerSlam match until Hakushi walked down to rings. A distracted skip was rolled up in a school bo- schoolboy, and Horowitz got the three count again on the body, Donna. Uh, it may have not been pretty, but Barry Horowitz finally won a match on a big stage, and that was in regards to their SummerSlam match. I couldn't find anything in regards to their first couple of matches, and so you know, not much to discuss on the official review front or the kind of the write-ups. You know, this is you know I can only find on the SummerSlam stuff, but not a ton. So anything you can think of, Tom, before we kind of get to our scores. No, I'll, I'll start with my score and then you can give yours. And again, we don't discuss these ahead of time. So it's always, always fun to, to do it. And, and again, the payoff score is just what we thought of it overall. So it's not a, oh, this was a five-star classic match and you should have seen the holds and the moves. And I mean, it's more about the angle and the crowd excitement and the buildup and the aftermath and just taking it all in. So it was not the best summer in the history of the WWF. Your two main programs are Mabel and Diesel for the world title and Bret Hart fighting a dentist. So at the time, thirsty as fans for anything that was remotely interesting and exciting, I thought this did it, right? I mean, I I really thought that this was a fun undercard, surprise feud, underdog story, I dug it. So, you know, you may not think it was a big deal, but at the time for an enhancement guy to win, it was a big deal. And Barry was pretty decent in the ring, athletic and kind of a different look and and some different moves. And I just thought it was fun. Maybe it's just because I remember it so well as a kid. Overall, I'm going to give this a six and a half. I thought it was well done. I thought it was fun for what it was. And I dug it, man. Fun to go back and watch this. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, so random story that actually plays into my score here. I was playing a video game, Borderlands, with my buddy Twig just last week. And I kind of you know revealed that we were doing this match with Barry Horowitz. And we had it lined up for this upcoming episode. And my recollection, he was pretty excited. You know, he's like, oh, that one should be pretty good. And, you know, and at the time, I, I knew the story, like I said in the opening here. But I'd done zero research to this point. And so I got to shout him out because... The, the brief conversation we had about this one and just kind of how he felt and I kind of felt a little bit of excitement coming from him. It, it got me looking forward to it. I wanted to spend some extra time looking into it and learning about Barry's career and these couple of matches that we wanted to talk about. So, you know, the match itself was a short affair, but you know, the first match, um, you know, 10 minute time draw, if you will, with the second one, nothing special really you know, on that one, other than you know, just what it was, it was the win, which was a big deal, but the match itself wasn't, you know, some technical, you know, showcase, but you just got to love the feel good story. You got to remember too, that I mean, I had a person remember like at the time there was little way to get this information out because there was no internet. And so they could do four tapings in a day and you weren't necessarily going to know what was happening. And so, and even if he did have some of these house show wins or dark match wins, people, they didn't remember, you know, it was in his first run. And so, you know, it just, it had kind of slipped away and that institutional memory wasn't there. And so I'll say the crowd's reaction though, is proof of that in this moment, this was the right decision and nobody saw it coming. He got a bigger pop than I say, like some current superstars have gotten on their return or, or kind of wins that they have gotten. And so with the crowd giving this one an extra whole extra point, uh, I was going to give it a six, but 
but with the crowd, I'm going to go with a seven. I feel like it could have wow. been. That, I, I feel like it could have been like a dreaded bathroom match, but then all of a sudden he wins big, and so we take everything into account here. And I think the crowd especially lost their mind, and I thought that was good. It really jump started. You know, we don't have, and you know, we we catch the hell on Twitter from people. Oh, why would you give this, that, and that, this? It's like, well, it's our score, and we kind of, you know, we kind of pull from everywhere. And I think the crowd played a big part in this one at the end of it. And hopefully, you know, I'd, I'd hate to be the guy or the or the woman that was in the bathroom during this one thing, and it wasn't going to be a big deal, and just another Horowitz loss. And then you know, all of a sudden, you're standing there, sitting there, whatever, and the crowd's going nuts because Horowitz just got a win. And so, just interesting stuff there. So, Tom, any thoughts or anything like that before we send it home here? No, if any of you uh, listening were at that show and in the bathroom when it happened, definitely let us know. Yes, please tweet at us because we would love to talk to you. Yeah, that would be funny. Proof of ticket required. So, so that, that's, a rare, that's a rare occurrence where uh, you had a higher payoff score than me. Well, lately too, we've been having a big degree of separation too. So you just never know uh, with us. I just feel like I have more uh, enthusiasm for the wrestling business than you do. The numbers seem to be higher, typically. Well, we start covering some New Japan matches, and we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, so. Hey, so just to close the loop on uh, Buck Quartermain, born in 1967, best known for his time spent in TNA, where he formed a tag team with Lex Lovett. Worked in ECW, WWF, WCW. Was on a Raw and a dark match. Sunday Night Heat, SmackDown. Uh, lost in a handicap match to the Big Show in 2005. So, how about that? Who would have thought? Uh, Who would have thought? Trivia for everybody. Yep. That's all I got, boy. Oh, hey. Okay. I, well, the other one you mentioned was Tommy Angel. Yeah. He does not. There's not a whole lot out there about him. So, that one I did look up. So, what? He was a one time Atlantic Coast Wrestling Television Champion. Thank you, whatever <laughs> wrestling, pro wrestling database or cage side, whatever you're looking at. So, yeah. So, you know, what do you got for us? Wrap us up. Yeah. So, love that enhancement talent going over. Great on Barry Horowitz. That's all I can say. He's not on social media, but we're going to start a hashtag for him. We're going to go Barry Horowitz next week. And so, make sure to use that. Hopefully, he sees it or someone points it out to him. And so, didn't see him out there. But, um, well, of and course, hey, always- guess, what, guess what else we can do? We can use the hand emoticon. Emoticon, yes. Emoticon. Yeah, yeah, we can do the hand, yeah, we'll, you know, the, the, the we'll do the, the hand. The, the, yeah. The pat on his back. We will definitely that's do pro- that. I'd so. assume that's why they created it, right? It, I'm sure that's exactly tip, why. Tip yep. of the cap to Barry Horowitz is run in the mid nineties. Yep. Someone at Apple likes to, is wearing that shirt right now. I bet you. So <laughs> of course, as always subscribe to the payoff, give us those five stars, spread the word about the show. Like I said in the opening, it's a little different now if you're listening on your computer and uh, on a Mac uh, with just that new podcast app, but you know, write that review because that's what, you know, we want to get the word out there and, you know, keep bringing this show to you. So always active social media. We're at payoff pod. You can find us there and then Patreon, just that one tier payoff, patreon.com. Check us out. And so Tom, I'm going to give you the, win i know we both it's a wednesday evening when we're recording and so we healy wins healy wins we, we yes we want to go watch uh, some wrestling ourselves right now and so i will let you uh get the win and send us home all right thank you as always for joining us on the payoff <laughs>